I'm liking this new chair setup. It's a little different. Maybe you didn't notice that. Y'all are a little closer here in the front. This is like the splash zone here or the spit zone. I don't know. Just careful. Careful in the front. But yeah, I'm liking this. Uh, our Pastor Joe uh, rearranged it and it, it looks great. Works well. I have been a, a pastor now for more than 20 years. And in the, all of those years, I have experienced a pressure to be something I've realized I'll never be able to live up to. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that the expectations that are often placed on me are part of the gig, it's part of being a pastor, and I've had to sort of learn how to navigate them. But there are plenty of moments as a pastor where that pressure can feel so great that at times I'm not sure what to do. I just am not. And I've also learned that I'm not alone in this sentiment. Uh, Barna Research does extensive research in and around the issues of the church, pastoral ministry in America. And in March, just this March, they did a study that revealed, I think, were some shocking statistics about the satisfaction level of pastors in America. Now, uh oh, in 2015, so just like eight years ago, uh, 72% of those who were asked, which were thousands, 72% of pastors said they were very satisfied in their vocation. In 2020, five years later, was kind of a big year. Some stuff happened then. That number dropped to 67%, about 5%. This March, they did that same survey, and they found out that that number of pastors feeling very satisfied in their vocation had dropped to 52%. That's a 20% drop in the last, last eight years. Now, I'll be honest. I'm not like a huge statistics guy. Um, you know, I looked at them. I, I, I sort of kind of understand them. But when I read this, I was like, oh, I relate to that. The last few years of pastoral ministry have been the most challenging of my life. In the 20 years that I've served, nothing has been as challenging as the last few years. But here's the thing. I don't know that it's for the reasons most of us assume. You know, the last three years have been challenging. We had this thing called COVID, all these political divisions, and they caused all sorts of anxiety in the church. And a lot of that, you know, brought pressure, I think, on pastors and church leaders. But there's been something that I have learned is becoming more devastating to the church that I think is the cause of a lot of angst among church leaders and especially pastors. And here's the thing. I've realized unless this gets sorted out and fixed, I think that the church is going to limp along into the future. And I'm not okay with that. And nor should you be. You see, at some point... Uh, in the last couple of centuries, the role of pastor went from being a disciple-making, leader-building person to the professional. And I can't quite pinpoint an exact moment when this happened, but it was this incremental thing that occurred. You know, at, at least in the Western world, the expectation of the pastor went from being this leader among leaders to being the professional Christian among the crowd. And not just a professional in what it means to be Christian, but a professional in all sorts of ways. 
The pastor has become a professional in biblical theology and biblical studies. Uh, They've become a professional on how to parents and how to break addictions and how to fix a toilet and how to teach people to do their taxes. And you would be amazed at the things that people have asked me, assuming that I'm a professional in all of that. Don't ask me to do your taxes. I'll just make a mess of it. I'll end you up in jail, okay? That's not what I'm doing, and that's not what my role is. But at some point, there became this incremental change from this pastor being this leader among leaders and disciple-making and challenging people and encouraging people to becoming the professional that everybody sort of looks at and goes, you do it. You have the answers, you do it. Now listen, I'm not saying any of this from a negative bad space, okay? I am so happy to be the pastor of this church. You wouldn't believe it, okay? I love you too. And I believe that we are fortunate to be a part of a church that realizes pastors can't be all things to all people at all times. They just can't. But there's still this cultural pressure for that to be the case. I mean, if you talk to the the pastors and the the staff in our church, I mean, they, they are gifted, they are amazing people, but there is this pressure to have to be the professional, to have to get it all right all the time. But here's the reality. I've learned that for churches to grow and thrive and be healthy and accomplish the vision and the mission of God that he has given to them, it cannot be done by any one person. It cannot be done by a professional pastor. Partially because, well, your pastor is flawed, okay? Yeah, I know it's hard to believe. I do know it's hard to believe. Uh, If my wife were here, I'm sure she could fill you in on all of the ways. But partially because I'm flawed, Pastor Joe is flawed, Justin's flawed, even Heather is flawed. Okay, I went too far, apparently. I went too far. You were right. You don't need that conflict class. You've got to figure it out. If you have conflict in your life, I invite you to go talk to Heather. She figured it out. She's the professional. Here's the thing, though. The church was never intended to be a place where any one person is seen as the professional and everyone else just sort of comes and goes as they please. That was never the intention that God had in mind for the church. And and I don't know when it happened. Somewhere along the line, in the last few centuries, it became that over time, slowly. And here's the thing. If we, Genesis Church, want to continue to grow and thrive and accomplish our mission of being a community of people whose lives have been changed by Jesus so that we can be people who change the lives of others, well, then it's going to take a strategy that Paul shows us in Acts chapter 14. So with that in mind, Grab your Bible, open up the YouVersion app. We'll be in Acts chapter 14, and uh, I'll give you just a quick recap of where we've been so far. Lots happened in chapter 14. Paul and Barney have been on this mission, right? They've been walking through the modern-day Turkey. They've been going from city to city. They've been talking about Jesus. Some of the people that they talk to are just fully engaged. They love what they're hearing, and others hate every word of it. And so they moved from places like Antioch of Pisidia and then to Iconium. And last week we saw they were in Lystra. 
And when they're in Lystra, they do the same thing. But then this amazing, uh, not amazing, this terrible thing happens where people who hated what they were saying in Antioch, Pisidia, and Iconium, they travel hundreds of miles to Lystra simply to drag Paul out of the city and stone him. And they do, almost to the point of death. They think he's dead, but by God's grace, he's not. Now, one would think, you know, cut your losses, Paul. Like, you've done some great work here. Like, just find a hospital, get better, heal up, maybe head somewhere else. No, Paul goes back into the city to continue and finish what he started. Now, if that weren't enough, at that point, look, your time is done in this area. Maybe it's time to head back to Jerusalem, Paul. You know, maybe head back to, to Tarsus, your hometown. Maybe just get some R&R time to recover. I mean, he's just been stoned nearly to death. He's got broken bones. He's been disfigured. He's swollen. There's no Tylenol anywhere for any of this, right? He, he needs some, some medical care. And yet that is not what Paul does. Look at what he does. Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 21. After preaching the good news in Derby, which by the way, they head to after their time in Lystra, and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. Wrong way, Paul. <laughs> You're going the wrong way. Every, there are people there that want you dead. Why do they go there? Verse 22. They strengthen the believers. They encourage them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul is relentless. Ain't no one in this room would do what Paul did. Heck, we are too comfortable in our own skin to do what Paul is doing here. He doesn't go home. He doesn't go to Jerusalem. He goes the same way he came back through Lystra, where he was stoned nearly to death, back through Iconium, where he was chased out of the city, back to Antioch of Pisidia, back to the cities filled with people who are after his very life. And along the way, Luke records that he spends time strengthening and encouraging the new believers in those cities. He reminds them that there is salvation and forgiveness in Jesus, but the path of following him can often be difficult and challenging. I got to thinking about what Paul must look like as he goes back to these cities, bruised and battered, saying to them, listen, encouraging you in your faith, there will be hardships, look at me. Look at me. It is difficult at times for the kingdom of God to expand into the world, and yet this is the calling on our lives. So be encouraged because salvation is yours, and you have been called to work hand in hand with God in the world to bring peace and joy and salvation to those who don't know it yet. In addition, while Paul is in each city, he does something else that I believe was the thing that causes the spread of the good news of Jesus throughout the world more than anything else. This is what he does. Verse 23. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church. Now, elders is not a word we always use. Just think leaders, okay? He appoints leaders in every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. 
Then they traveled back through Pisidia to Pamphylia. They reached, they preached the word in Perga, then went down to Italia. And finally, they returned to the ship, to return by ship to Antioch of Syria, where their journey had begun. They've made this huge circle back to where they started. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. And upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported everything God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And they stayed there with the believers for a long time. Finally, Paul has a moment of rest. You know, Paul wasn't just courageous. He was brilliant. He was was. He was so strategic. And you know what? He knew his limitations. Yes, he had preached Jesus in the cities that he had been to. And yes, many people believed and placed their faith in Jesus. But Paul knew, I can't stand and stay in any one place for too long. For one, people wanted him dead. He was always on the run. And two, he knew, I have more work to do. And these churches, they need to function by themselves. So what does Paul do? He appoints leaders. He encourages people. He strengthens them. He builds a community. He creates structure within the church so that they can withstand whatever might come their way. He goes back through each city to ensure the gospel message will live on long after he leaves. And he, he and Barnabas, with prayer and fasting, they entrust each community to a group of leaders who can care for and lead in a way that carries the mission forward. Now, this is the strategy that Paul would use for the entirety of his life in ministry. He spends gobs of time talking about the importance of the church, working together to accomplish the mission of God in the world. Throughout the letters he writes to the churches, it's one of the things he constantly has to remind them. You're in this together. You need each other. There is no one person that can do this on their own. He is explicit in saying it's not just one or two or even three professionals who will cause change in the world. It's everyone using what they have and who they are to make Jesus known in the world. It's people singing a song like we just sang that says, oh, to be like you, Jesus. To be like you. Collectively, if we did that together, what might God do? Notice how Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. This is the ESV version. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. By members, he means like your fingers, right? So though many are one body in Christ, though many, yeah, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul makes it very clear from the beginning that the success and health and growth of the church cannot and should not fall on any one person or even a small group of people. Instead, Paul makes it clear 
through both his words and his actions, that the success of the church will only be accomplished through the collective commitment of the church's members to serve in the ways God has gifted them. That's how it works. And you know, Paul is so intentional about creating a structure within the church that will allow each local community to withstand and thrive within the pressures and the hardships of the cities that they're living in. Without that structure, he knew they will be gone in a matter of months. If that church relied only on Paul, it would not last. One, because no one person could make it all happen. And two, Paul wasn't even there. Paul had other things he needed to be doing. Now, just to be clear, I want to be clear about this. Those he appoints into leadership in the church of Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, they are not master's level educated, experienced, full-time ministry leaders. There was no such thing in the first century. There were no seminaries. They didn't even have the New Testament yet. They're They're literally writing it as they're living, okay? Just to be clear, these are by all standards. These people are uneducated, unqualified, inexperienced people whose only real qualification is their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's about it. And yet Paul is fully prepared to coach and to train and to trust them, it says, in order to allow the good news of Jesus to continue to spread. And more importantly, those he appoints say yes. They say yes to the invitation to become a member within that local expression of the church. They say yes when Paul asks them to take a step of faith and express a greater commitment to the church and its mission in the world. They say yes when Paul sees leadership potential in them and coaches them to lead those in their care. They say yes. There's no indication that when Paul goes to Iconium and he he looks at the church and he says, I'm calling you to a greater commitment, that they go, you know what, give us a few days to think about it. I just need to figure out, I got a lot of stuff going on right now. Okay, I know I'm getting in your kitchen right now, but it's true. I got a, man, you should see my calendar right now. I just don't know if I have the time to commit, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could sacrifice as much as you're asking to do that. The indication is that it, they say, yes, absolutely. We're going to do this. And you know, the strategy that Paul implements in the church in the first century in Acts chapter 14, it hasn't changed. It's still the same strategy within the church. You know, the, the church has withstood thousands of years of hardship and suffering and persecution, and it continues to be the place God's mission goes out from because over the centuries, leaders and people within the church decided, oh, this is, this is what we do. This is who we are. It is accomplished by people who might have even been considered unqualified for any of it. Now listen, I have a master's of divinity. And I'm proud of that, but I don't brag about it. I have 20 plus years of full-time ministry experience. I have served in a variety of capacities throughout the years. 
And I often feel incredibly unqualified to do the work that God has called the church to do. If you could hear my prayers, you could often hear me say, God, I am not sure what I'm doing. And I really don't know what I'm supposed to do next. You ever prayed that prayer before? Yeah, I do too. You know why? Because I'm not the professional. I, I, I don't have it all figured out, right? I, I'm, I'm with you in this. And yeah, I'm, I'm a leader among leaders, but man, we, we're, we're in this together and the strategy is for us to do it together. And then I read passages like Acts chapter 14 and I'm, feel, and I'm reminded, you know, if you feel unqualified and aren't sure of what you're supposed to do next, then man, you're in great company. You are in great company. God's strategy is and always has been to use the gifts and abilities and humility of those who have surrendered their life to Jesus, regardless of their past, regardless of their education level, regardless of their social status, regardless of how much money they have in the bank. None of that matters. The only thing that matters to Paul and to Jesus and the mission of the work of the church is are you willing to say yes? Are you willing to say yes? God's strategy is for all who call Jesus Lord and Savior to become members. That's the word Paul used, members and contributors in his church. And I'll just be honest, it's not just any church. It's actually the local church. I want you to notice this as well. You know, these three cities are actually not that far apart. Uh, you know, Antioch and Lytra are maybe like 100 miles, but they're all within like a normal, you know, sort of vicinity of one another. Notice what Paul doesn't do. Paul doesn't call them all together and say, I need you all to move to Iconium and we're going to start the church here. No, he says, we're going to start churches and build churches and structure and leadership in each of these local communities. They're going to look a little different. They're going to be different expressions of faith. They're going to do things a little bit different, but they need to be on the front lines of these cities. We believe that the scriptures tell us that he forms local communities in each of their cities and that people are called to become members of those local churches. And we are in constant pursuit of implementing the same strategy as Paul did. We, Genesis Church, believe that everyone who calls Genesis home is gifted and called and able to contribute to the mission of God through our local expression of the church. Amen. And we look different than other churches and some people are like, oh, you're all divided. I'm like, no, we're just diverse. Not every expression of the church looks exactly the same. And that's good. That's a good thing. And this is why, by the way, we have formal membership at Genesis Church. Now, some of you are members here. Some of you have come from churches where you've been a member before. Some of you have never even heard of that before. And that's okay. And I got to thinking about this because for a long time, I was suspicious of this practice in the church, right? I was suspicious. I never, I was like, I don't want the church to be like a country club. I want it to be like a hospital. Why would we want to be membership? But then I read Romans 12, 4, 8, and I realized membership is our term. That's our word. 
the country clubs and the gyms, they stole it from us. <laughs> That's our term. We, we, Paul uses it. You know, this is our, it's, they're a bunch of thieves using our term for their own gain. And since that realization, I can see value in people deciding I will be a committed member of this church. I see it happen throughout the scriptures in places like Iconium and Antioch and Lystra. I see Paul calling people to a new standard of living because their faith depends upon it. I see Paul listing out expectations of leaders and volunteers in the church. I see the instructions to be in community, to attend the services, to give faithfully, to be held accountable for ourselves, to serve the least of these. And it all points to a commitment on the part of both the church and those who are part of the church. You know, ultimately, membership in the church is a step of faith. We have steps of faith that go on. A person receives Christ for the first time and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they take a next step and they get baptized, right? And they take a next step and they get involved in community and they start serving. And membership as Paul talks about, it's a step of faith. It's a formal, it is a public commitment to move from being a casual observer to a full-fledged participant, to become fully invested, come what may, to God's vision and mission at a local church, and in our case, at Genesis Church. You know, over the years, there are a few things that I celebrate more than watching somebody give their life to Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit, get baptized, and then become a member in our church. I celebrate that because that is a step of faith unlike just about any other. As Paul travels back to Antioch of Syria, he puts in place the very first elements of formal membership in the local church. He's calling people to a commitment to that local expression of the church. He appoints leaders and he calls people to a new level of commitment to the movement of the church in the world. Because here's the thing. The truth is, you could participate in what God is doing at Genesis without ever becoming a member. You can do that. And, and we will love you for that. But I will tell you this. You will never experience a kind of personal growth that will come from deciding, I am committing to being a member of this local church. Choosing to invest your full attention, time, money, and energy to one local church is a powerful force of change in a person's life. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. And here's the other thing. The church will suffer. Paul promises that. Hardships are going to come. Things are going to get hard. And when it happens, the church isn't going to need you. The church needs you. Genesis needs you. Genesis needs your full commitment to the community and mission of this church. We are a better church with you. And we are a better church with you fully committed to what God wants to do here. Now listen, I know membership in a church has been abused. And maybe you've had that experience where you became a member and then it was like, you know, heavy-handed, do this, don't do that, you know, excommunication, all these crazy stuff, right? That's not what we're about. 
This is not a heavy-handed offer. This is an offer, an invitation for you to say, I am fully committed to what God is doing here, and I will use what he has given me, as unqualified as I may feel, to participate in whatever way he calls me to. Membership here is you simply saying, yes. Yes. I will jump in. Feet first, I will jump in. I will do whatever it takes. I will, I will not only say to my husband or to my friend that, hey, I really like Genesis Church, but I will say to this entire church, I'm in. I am here. I will help. I will support you. I will pray for you. I will give to this venture. I will surrender and sacrifice my life to be an, just an absolute emblem and ambassador of Christ in the ways that he is calling us to. That's what membership is for us. You know, I often tell people, I'm like, look, you becoming a member here is less for us and more for you. It's an opportunity for you. So I am personally inviting you. We've got a lot of different ways that we've done membership here. And, uh, and we're, we're kind of changing that up right now just with everything going on. And so Saturday, June 3rd, uh, we are going to be having a membership class from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. I'll lead it. We'll talk about our church. We'll talk about our denomination. We'll talk about our vision, our mission. We'll talk about what membership means here at this church and how you can be a part of that. Um, you do, as a member, get certain uh, privileges that non-members don't. For instance, we'll be having an annual meeting uh, that we have every year in June, and only our members can vote on things like budget, um, uh, like building stuff. Uh, this is not my forte, by the way. Um, <laughs> all that kind of things, uh, pointing new leaders, only our members vote on that. If you ever wanted to become part of our leadership team, you have to be a member, okay? Now, that's really about it. Really, it's more about you making that commitment. You can serve here, you can give here, you can jump all and just be a casual observer, but we're hoping for more for you, for you, not from you, but for you, all right? So, membership class on Saturday, June 3rd, just mark it down. If you're interested in it, text us, Put it, you know, on the connect card. You can drop that in or stop by the, uh, the Welcome Center as well. In addition, if you are a member at Genesis Church and you have lost sight of what that means, I think it's time to recoup it. There is an abundance of grace to you. Look, stuff happens. But, but we need to be fully committed and begin to contribute in a way that will not only assist in the movement of the church, but I believe will also bring personal change and growth in your own life. I'll say it again. Our church is not composed of a bunch of professionals. It is composed of people committed to Jesus and the mission of the church who will use what God has given them, as diverse as it is, to spread the good news of Jesus into the world. Now, certainly, we have leaders who help steer and guide the ship, but even they become members before they ever become leaders. They become members who say, I'm in, I'm in. Come what may, I'm in. When conflict arises, I'll deal with it. I'll work to make it work. I'm not gonna run. And so I'm asking, will you take a step of faith this morning if you're a believer in Jesus, if you call Genesis home, will you take a step of faith to become a committed member of this church to say, I'm in, I'm all in. And if you are, will you renew that already commitment that you have as a member of Genesis 
church. That's a challenge to us this morning. I know as I was writing this, I was challenged. We have a membership covenant where we, we have these things that we say, hey, look, as a member, we're committing to these things. And I went back and I reviewed it. And I was like, you know what? God's got some work to do. He's got some work to do in me. I need to think through this stuff again. And that's a good practice for us. It's a good practice for all of us. Will you take that step of faith? Will you renew that commitment this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am grateful beyond words for the relentless bravery and courage of Paul, for his ability to see the need for structure and strategy within the church. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he was able to craft shape these local expressions of the church in unique ways with leaders and members who are committed. You know, the pressures of ministry is real, but I think what sustained the church in the first century and allowed it to spread and to grow as quickly as it did is that no one person was seen as the professional, but everybody in the church saw that they had something to contribute in small ways and in large ways, they saw that this was our thing, that we're in this together. And when they were asked to contribute or invest or participate, they didn't hesitate. They said, yeah, I'll do it. And so this morning, God, I know that you are challenging us as a church, this local body here at 32nd Street in Thunderbird, to be fully committed to what you want to do in and through us. And so I pray this morning that the many people in this room, for those who are not yet a member of this local church, God, that you would put it on their heart to take a step of faith. And God, if they have questions, that they would have the courage to ask them and to to seek more clarity on it. And for those of us who are members in this church, God, I pray that you would renew that commitment of ours. That you would remind us that we are not only the beneficiaries of what you're doing at this church, but you've called us also to be the contributors. To be fully-fledged, committed people in your church at Genesis. So this morning, God, we run to you. We ask for clarity and inspiration and momentum and help and care and salvation this morning, we ask God that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, that you would shape us, that you would move us to become more like you. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.